0: So welcome back to the podcast, everyone. This is Andre from The Mental Health, and I'm here with Professor Grania McElonen, who is the Professor of Translational Neuroscience at King's College London. Uh, And she's giving a keynote talk at the IAPPN Festival on the 27th of April, uh, entitled, Autism Across the Ages, What Does a Vulnerable Brain Look Like? Can We Shift Biology? So Grania, welcome to the podcast. It's lovely to have you here. This is such an interesting topic. and so much that we could talk about, you know, I think lots of people are, uh, um, are on this kind of spectrum. In fact, probably all people, <laughs> all human beings are on this kind of neurodiverse spectrum. Um, and, you know, there's lots of experiences of autism. Lots of people have a diagnosis of autism. Lots of people um, put they're actually autistic on their social media. Um, you know, and there's huge variation in that. And we don't know very much about the different biological mechanisms that affect people, whether that's positively or negatively. Um, Why do you think that working in this area, that improving our knowledge in this area, the relationship between the brain and neurodevelopmental conditions, mental health conditions, why is this an important area to work in?
1: Um, I think it's important because, as you rightly say, everyone could be considered neurodiverse. We are a diverse uh, population. I'm different to the next individual, just as every person with autism is different to the next person with autism. And what we'd really like to understand is, what's the neuroscience that might underpin someone's strengths and weaknesses? And if we can work that out, then we're in a better position to say, when people have some difficulties, And we understand a mechanism we can perhaps help to support them and improve their quality of life. But equally, we can identify when people have particular strengths or abilities and make sure that we don't um, impact upon those maybe compensatory or positive um, abilities that a person has to make things worse for them. So it's really important to think about the individual when we when we do research and I think we're moving away from um, ideas about simple group differences between categories of people because that's not the reality we have to start thinking in terms of the individual and um, when it comes to then interventions think more about personalized interventions.
0: So what do we know right now about how when we develop when our brains develop Um, what happens that makes neurodevelopmental changes or mental health changes more or less likely? What do we actually know?
1: So I think we need to look very early in development to understand what makes us actually individual, Um, because everyone will share a um, basic infrastructure for brain development. But as we all turn out quite differently, then there has to be um, an opportunity for that brain development to be shaped both by the genes we have and by the environment we're in. And it's likely to be different in every person. And what happens very early in development is you first of all have to establish the foundations. You have to have the basic sensory and motor circuits in place before you then start to develop the more complex social behaviours that we have as we um, go through postnatal life and what we're trying to do with some of our work in the early developing human brain is understand the similarities between people what is that basic infrastructure but also what are the sort of sensitive periods that the brain has to go through when these circuits that are so important for more complex behaviours get established and what genes and what environmental influences might alter the way we progress through those sensitive periods.
0: What's the practical application of this, do you think, in 10, 20, 50 years' time? Do you see something happening that increases risk, like um, being born early, um, which would then lead to some kind of investigation which may involve brain imaging? of a baby? Or do you just see everyone going through some kind of screening process using this kind of technology in order to find the positive and negative potential?
1: I see two things. So first, there is the forward prediction, say, of what the brain looks like at birth and what will happen to that um, child later on. And we may get to a point where once we've established using something as sophisticated as MRI, can we use proxy measures of some of the things that we find out at birth that are predictive. Equally, we can take the step back from the the brain image, if you like, at birth and ask for an individual that's moved away from that predicted mean, if you like, um, what circuits are involved? So what exactly is going on in that individual? Because that is maybe the personalized intervention that that child will need. And it will be different from another child who has moved away from the mean, but has a different collection of biological mechanisms going on.
0: So let's let's dig into some of the science a little bit more in detail then. Tell us about some of the research that you're doing at the moment and have recently published. How are you using these techniques to... I guess, you know, improve the lives of people because it's not necessarily just identifying and treating, is it? It's much broader than that.
1: So um, we're we're taking a, a lifespan approach. So what we can do when we do research involving babies is we can understand what are these individual differences that might be associated with a higher or lower likelihood of developing a neurodevelopmental or a psychiatric condition. Then we can ask in the older age groups um, and in some of the adult studies, well, actually, do those same basic differences persist into an older age? Because if they do, that suggests that, yes, indeed, they are core to whatever condition or dimension of or traits that we're interested in and not something that has happened because that individual has lived with a particular condition throughout their lives or has been exposed to different um, societal or environmental influences throughout their lives. So we know that there's something fundamental about that biological signal. But in the older individuals, what we can ask is, and what we're trying to ask is, can we alter that? So can we actually shift biology in already mature brains? We obviously cannot do those kinds of studies in the children, but in um, adults who are Fantastically helpful with our research. We are able to use uh, different uh, medications that we know the action of, and we can say, Well, let's look at this circuit. Let's give a drug that we know acts on this circuit, and let's see if someone with, say, autism has a different response to that than someone who doesn't have autism. Because then we can start to say, Well, actually, it's this particular neurochemical circuit that's important. And we can think, well, it makes sense in terms of what we've seen early on in babies and what we can shift, if you like, in adults, that it's the same basic circuit or neurochemical system that we're working on. And so that's why we want to do kind of research at both parts of the age span.
0: And if that's successful, that research in adults that you're talking about, what, does, what are the clinical implications, do you think, of that?
1: Again, if we get to uh, the individual, um, we hope that we can start to say, you know, is a particular individual biologically responsive to a particular uh, drug challenge, for example, or a particular neurochemical challenge? Because that may mean that That's the kind of um, intervention that should be looked at in clinical trials, which are enriched with that type of person. We could also see if actually some people won't make a response to a particular pharmacological challenge, if you like. Um, And then there's probably not much point in them going through clinical trials where we'll just expose them to side effects and potentially not really see any great benefit. Um, so if we can start to have better designed clinical trials that allow us to target more homogenous groups of people who are likely to be responsive to the medication, then we may stand ourselves in better um, stead. We might be able to develop, if you like, a repertoire of options for people, because there's no way we're going to find one intervention that suits everybody with even one condition it is likely that we're going to have to think about individual or personalized medicine and then we'll need a repertoire
0: you've worked in this area for a few years you've worked in you know autism and schizophrenia and you've worked in hong kong as well as over here in the uk it feels like a lot has changed in this kind of neurodevelopmental neurodiverse field in the last decade or so, particularly. um, How has that affected your work?
1: Right back when I first became interested in autism, um, I remember thinking about the, it was a brain imaging study, and we were starting to see some differences in people with and without autism spectrum. And in the circuits that were involved, my thought was, well, actually, these circuits look after some of the behaviours that um, people see in schizophrenia and those behaviours were to do with filtering of information and, um, if you like, continuing to respond to uh, stimuli when someone without autism or without schizophrenia might not respond. And um, at that time, I remember writing for some funding and being very much told off that my thoughts that there was any relationship between schizophrenia and autism spectrum was just a non-starter. Since then, we've looked at um, neuroimaging studies and seen overlaps uh, between individuals with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, um, autism spectrum disorder uh, in their brain anatomy and in brain function, and the geneticists have told us that there is quite huge overlap in terms of genes which confer a higher likelihood of these neurodevelopmental conditions, and the overlap occurs across, again, schizophrenia, ADHD, autism, intellectual disability, epilepsy. So I'm coming to think that there's no such thing as a unitary condition, and what we really do need to understand is the trajectory of brain development and how individuals um, uh, move through that trajectory and at what points they may be more susceptible to having an event that maybe causes a difficulty later in life or an event which perhaps protects them from um, having difficulties later in life.
0: Finally, just give us your elevator pitch. Tell us in in 30 seconds or so why people should come along to your keynote at the festival on the 27th of April.
1: Well, I've just said that we can no longer think of things in terms of unitary categories. So therefore, what we need to do is to come together in terms of multidisciplines, in terms of the tools we use, but also in terms of the um, conditions that we're interested in and in mental health in general. So we need input from everyone who has expertise across a whole range of fields in different conditions and using different techniques because that multidisciplinary conversation is really what's going to drive the field forward.